Hello everyone and welcome to this webinar today. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and Enfield Voices and this is one of the many webinars we do and we're going to look at this webinar at the role of the councillor in local authorities um, because they do have a critical role and at a time when there are really real pressures on our services their innovation and their ideas and their work with their community can be really important. And we're going to talk to Charith Ganawardena today, who is a councillor in the London Borough of Enfield. And he was one of nine councillors in the Labour group who resigned from that group. He's the only one who joined the Green Party and we'll talk to him about that. But he left the group um, because he felt he could better work with his community by doing that because of the rigid discipline of the party group that had um, made him feel that he was inhibited in doing the job that he was elected to do. So Chara, thank you for joining us today. It's great you know, to have you here. And can I ask you first, if you could tell us very briefly a little bit about your background. Thank you, Francis, for inviting me. It's um, really a pleasure to um, join this webinar series. I have been following it for quite some time. So thanks for the opportunity. Um, my name is Charit Gunodana, as uh, Francis mentioned. Um, I, I'm originally from Sri Lanka. I've been here for 40 years and I've lived in Southgate Ward for 26 years ever since I've got married. Uh, so it's been a long time in Southgate. Um, I qualified as an engineer in the UK and was a director of a high-tech manufacturing company for now over 20 years. I left the company just a few months ago to do some consultancy work, but really to try and spend more time in the local community, um, but you can get more time by managing your own time in a consultancy. Um, I have always been interested in politics and we always debate uh, about political issues in our dinner, dinners and family gatherings. But what made me more politically active is an uh, interest in macroeconomics. I'm not an economist, but I've been always trying to understand why the media keeps saying there is no money in one of the richest cities in the world to eliminate homelessness and food banks. Now, I know that's uh, probably a topic for another day, but it's an interesting, important issue that rarely gets discussed in a serious enough manner. Okay, and you know, uh, your vehicle for expre expressing those views was the Labour Party and you were in that for a long time. What made you leave it? Um, Francis, so I joined the Labour Party, like I said, because of my interest in really social justice. Um, and uh, at the time I joined, there were a lot of um, discussions about that topic, and they were talking about different ideas of making it a more equitable society. And I actually believed being a, a elected as a councillor in a majority Labour administration would give me an opportunity to contribute to policy discussions in this area. I really thought I could make a contribution, but unfortunately I have felt more and more restrained from championing the needs of local residents as a labor councillor. Um, now, of course, the challenges and obstacles many ex-labor councillors have experienced with the infield labor group has been discussed in this channel and also the local media. So I really don't plan to go over that ground again. Um, but uh, what I can say is I do agree that my experience reflects what was stated by those councillors who have either left 
the Labour Party or resign as councillors altogether. So when you decided to leave, what made you join the Green Party? Of all the people that have left, you're the only one to do that. So why was that your choice? Um, I, I, it's not, not like the other council, it's not really easy to leave uh, the party, but uh, I've been a councillor for now three years and I have one year more to go in, um, in my term. And it's really important to make a contribution. Now, the real reason I left the um, Labour Party and joined the Greens is when I was looking uh, at the options, I studied the Green Party manifesto very closely and looked at some of the work they were doing. And I was quite impressed uh, that the party has developed truly inspiring and progressive policies, uh, for a, certainly for a sustainable society. <clears throat> and more <clears throat> interestingly, um, that include key principles, it, I believe, to tackle the climate crisis, but also deliver social justice. Um, so the Green Party are seen as a single party issue, but I really don't think that's the case. Um, and so the things of social justice are the things I campaigned for and will continue to defend on behalf of Enfield residents. So I decided that uh, this would be the best way to serve my constituents. Um, I now have no restraints from championing basically the core needs of Southgate residents. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you feel a sense of liberation now that you're able to say what you want with your community Whereas before you were faced with a really disciplined, tight party who wanted compliance all the time, and you dare not step out of line. Do you feel you've lost that now and you have a freedom to really represent your community? Uh, definitely so. I mean, when we joined as councillors or when we were selected as councillors to join Enfield, uh, there's this idea called collective responsibility. So if you have a chance to discuss policies and you have a slightly different view, but if you get a really good chance to discuss that, uh, then it's okay if the majority uh, vote for a decision is useful to stand by uh, that to en ensure that a single message goes out. But that should happen only on the basis of real, honest, genuine debates that take place. Uh, if you don't feel you have had the chance to debate your points and you're worried about the decisions and not understand how these decisions came to being and haven't seen the evidence, then it gets very difficult to continue supporting something. And at the moment in the Labour group, I just felt everything was almost whipped. I mean, people who were really trying to vote on really matters of conscience were suspended. Um, now, I never broke the whip. Maybe I wasn't as brave enough as some other councillors, but uh, you, 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 just get, uh, you just get suspended. So there's no point in continuing in that environment. Um, and I just thought it's better to actually leave uh, to do something which you can actually believe in um, and not get pushed I mean, into take, your situation. Yeah, I mean, take one example. Uh, the, the Labour administration in Enfield are trying to implement and believe strongly in low traffic neighbourhoods. <laughs> now, you could never say, could you, as a councillor, OK, I believe them in principle, but the way they're implemented is bad. But now that's what you believe, isn't it? And you have a you may have the opportunity to express that. I mean, yes, I mean, that's one of the type of issues which um, which I found quite difficult. So I believe that we all want 
um, cleaner, safer, quieter, free-flowing neighborhoods. I think no one is against that, right? Um, I voted for the low traffic neighborhood. The Green Party supports that idea in concept, but it really has to be implemented based on some sound evidence and uh, bringing the communities through together. Um, and one of the things I've been trying to get as a Southgate member, as a board councillor, is the low traffic neighbourhood sits just outside the Southgate ward. There are a couple of streets which fall into that. Um, but a huge majority of the residents are facing the consequences of that, um, the implementation. So I have been trying to find out from the council what was the baseline data before the scheme was implemented um, and also what were the expected measures of success right uh, because you cannot start a project generally uh, without saying this is the problem this is where we want to get to and we are going to track this in that uh, in the sequence so i i was really keen to get answers on behalf of the three type of stakeholders. One is the group of residents who stay within the LTN. Then there are the stakeholders that's just sitting outside the adjacent areas and the bordering areas. And of course, finally, the whole constituency. Now, without that basic evidence and basic information, it's very difficult to talk to your residents in an open and honest manner and just keep saying, oh yeah, LTNs are going to save, save the world and save the climate without the context. And I felt that we were just being pushed into that uh, process and not being able to be really honest and nuanced in the different situations. Um, and it, it's, it's like taking a good idea and completely ruining it by uh, having a bad implementation and discussions. Um, now, so the issue is still not going to go away. Uh, this will not go away in Southgate until we have some good answers, particularly about the situation of the traffic flow, air pollution, noise and safety within particularly around the Southgate roundabout where five roads are connecting. Uh, the community is not going to stay quiet, though we agree that there needs to be low traffic neighborhoods, but that has to be part of a bigger, bigger, um, bigger process. There has to be a fully funded, integrated green transport strategy, right? Um, and uh, LTN could play one part in that. It's not a silver bullet for a climate crisis. And I think we are trying to be positioned as someone who has this solution without taking the nuances and differences into account. Um, well, and the other particular one I was saying, just to finish off on that, uh, Francis, about the low traffic neighborhoods is in, Enfield, maybe there are lots of areas suitable for low traffic uh, schemes. Now, I would have really liked to see, are there 20, 30 potential sites for low traffic neighborhoods? And what were the reasons for selecting uh, the Fox Lane site as a high priority site? Um, is this the best one? Um, and can you rank these type of schemes? Uh, so without that sort of information and evidence, uh, it's very difficult to carry uh, your local community with you. And I struggled for years and some residents are very, very angry with me, quite rightly so. And I hope that uh, I can uh, be a bit more, um, bring them on board as we go along.
Okay, um, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting that you say that LTNs are not a silver bullet to climate change and so on. And you're free to say that now. I mean, even though the Green Party has been very pro-LTN, I notice its membership website has said, good in principle, but badly implemented very often. And you're now free to say that. And that raises an interesting question of who does the councillor represent? Does he represent or does she represent their party? Or do they represent, in the first place, the community that elected them, their ward, all of them? Um, where do you stand on that? Do you think you represent your party, first and primost, or the people who elected you? I mean, that, that's an interesting question because when I resigned, I got some emails from members of the Labour Party saying, hey, we voted for Labour and not you as a councillor. Um, and if, you're, if you resign, why don't you call a by-election and then stand again? Um, I mean, these are valid, valid questions, but the rules say that it's the councillor that gets elected and you're part of a party. Um, uh, so that's why it doesn't automatically trigger that. Uh, and the answer I give was to the people who raised it that I was elected on a manifesto um, on the basis um, when I was elected. And I said, I will honor everything I stood on that manifesto at that time. And if I'm breaking any of those promises, please write to me and I'll try to address that because uh, that's the basis, the only basis I can sort of answer that. In, I, I was elected on certain principles and I'll try to stick to that. And I don't think the Green Party uh, has huge differences, certainly from social justice and policy sides on that basis. Um, so there will be nuances uh, and that's what politics is all about. You have to debate that and try to persuade others to come uh, to your way of thinking. Okay, so you're, you're free to talk about the things you want. You feel that you represent your community first and free to develop community associations to link with your community. And you're free to talk about issues that you couldn't in the way that you uh, might have had you been and remained in the Labour Party. Now, one of those is the development in Edmonton of Meridian Water, but water that you um, feel strongly about, I know. Um, but before you talk about that, in case people don't know, what is the development in Meridian Water? Um, Meridian Water is one of the largest uh, regeneration sites in London, of 85 um, hectares of land. And the plan is to uh, have nearly 10,000 homes built on that area. Um, quite a lot of that land is council owned and public, <clears throat> publicly owned. And my biggest interest from the time I was elected in, um, uh, as a council in particularly Meridian Water was my interest in the homelessness, the housing issue, right? And I was thinking, here is a place where that can be really used to make a, a impact in um, the housing crisis Enfield is facing. And that's why I was particularly looking at Meridian Water because it's a, a brownfield site, not going into the green belt. And I was really keen to see how a labor administration uh, in the challenge, because we are constrained because of government um, funding policies. I mean, if you had a government that was serious about addressing the country's housing crisis, uh, Enfield Council's own Meridian site would have been 
chosen as a, a really good site for public funding without much hesitation. <laughs> um, but in the absence of that, I genuinely expected the Labour administration to focus on, on the problem and seek some optimum solutions with some real vigor and passion to actually address the local needs. One of the things, of course, that they're saying, they're making Meridian Water a flagship uh, policy of theirs, aren't they? And they're saying, and they're arguing, this is going to create uh, a whole series of affordable homes for people who live there. And that is actually very questionable, isn't it? Enfield has a serious housing crisis. I think that's not a secret. Uh, we have many residents living in temporary accommodation. We have long waiting lists. There's severe overcrowding. There are very poor quality rental homes. We have high eviction rates. And then again, the issue you brought up about affordability. So we have a median housing price of over nearly just under 400,000, right? The median household income in Enfield, that's two people uh, in a household. The median income is around 34,000. So we are like 11, 12 times the median household income. So house pricing is so important. And the government has this definition called affordable house pricing, which really isn't affordable. They, uh, they use the thing called shared ownership homes and they call that, try to define that as affordable. Uh, whereas if you are really serious about affordability, it has to reflect the local household income levels. Um, and one of the things I was, I've been struggling with the labor group is we are actually championing the definitions of the, uh, the government, which we all know, even the labor group knows it's not affordable. And when it comes to shared ownership homes, people just don't have the right levels of deposits to buy these homes. And there's huge issues with shared ownership homes because people can rarely buy those homes because you're always at the edge of that stuff. Um, and it's not addressing the needs of the people who really are at the key worker type people. Right? Um, and so that's why I was uh, really worried about that. And if you don't solve this big housing crisis, unfortunately, there's also knock-on effects that results from the housing crisis. We have a lot of poor mental health issues, the crimes go up, there's impact on children's education. Um, so it's very important to address the housing issue and Meridian, Meridian Water being one of the council's own sites really should be the flagship in addressing those issues openly and honestly, not just uh, have a lot of sound bites to say this is a flagship project, but look at the evidence, look at the numbers, and show the connection of who is going to benefit from this. Yeah, and the other the other thing about that is, I guess that uh, the council is being led a lot, and maybe you could comment on this, as many councils are, by the needs of developers to make a profit, and they want to build flats, one or two bedroom flats. But reports by organisations like Better Homes have said that is not what the need is in that area or in a lot of areas. And I'm sure many councils face this. The need is for family homes and family homes are the ones that are not being built. Is that right? Uh, that's uh, very correct. I mean, at the moment, the, we are not even meeting our own council's planning policies. 
Um, the, the planning policy five has something about the amount of affordability which we have to meet. But there's also a, a policy about the family size homes. Um, it says that we need to build uh, over 60% of every new build has to be three beds plus to meet the overcrowding issues and family size, uh, family home issues we have. The infill council, we are over 3,000 homes behind the uh, family size target, but oversupply one and two bed um, flats. Now, a lot of private developers like the ones and two beds because they can make more profit on that. Um, so there is no point in the infill council also doing the same thing in Meridian Water. We should really have channeled that to address some of the shortfalls on the family size home. And one of the things I have been concerned and we, is we haven't even done financial viability tests to say that instead of doing um, these one and two bed homes, what would be the numbers and uh, issues if we build more, um, sorry, build more family size homes instead of one and two bedroom homes? Because when you actually do the cost benefit analysis, you also need to look at the costs of not doing this. So in most of the financial viability tests we are doing, we just say, cost of land, here's the cost of building, here's the amount we can sell there for, and here's the profit we are going to make. But we never put it into that model, or I haven't seen it, despite being on a scrutiny panel, to say, what's the cost of not doing this in terms of the cost, in terms of uh, outside benefit, mental health issues, the crime issues, right? There are costs to that, which is borne by the council. And if you don't use the schemes which are in our control, where we are the master developer, to address those issues, the, the wider issues, you just wonder why are we leading a project like that? Okay, you might I, as well give it to a private developer. Yeah, you, you mentioned scrutiny just now, and I'll come to that in a sec, but one other issue that you feel strongly about that you can talk about openly is the fact that in Edmonton, a huge incinerator is being built, which local people are finding um, objectionable and they have set up a whole series of protests about that and Enfield keeps saying it's the North London Waste Authority's responsibility but they have councillors on it who can you know express a view. What's your view about the incinerator? Uh, the in, in, incinerator is something which we really have to relook at and it, even I wrote I was part of a group of councillors who wrote to um, the Northwest London Waste Authority to pause and review that scheme sometime last year. Um, the volume of recycling in Enfield is very, very low. We are below 30%. If I, it's around 30%. I, someone mentioned below 30% due to the COVID, but I'm not really sure of the final figures. Uh, where our target really has to be over 50%. Um, now, if we have this enormous overcapacity of, um, of an incinerator, there's probably no incentive to, um, to increase your recycling rate because you have to feed this beast. You have to get lots of uh, material to feed it. Now, there is an issue about non-recyclable waste, which is uh, out there, but there are a lot of other alternative ideas people are uh, thinking about how to handle that smaller 
amount of non-recyclables, but there's still a lot we can do to increase the recycling rate and not building this enormous um, incinerator right in the middle of uh, our pavement and where you have already a lot of um, health issues and that's the most, uh, the area which has the high, highest, uh, uh, the, the sort of the poorest area in the borough. So it's very important not to, um, uh, not to have that size ones particularly and look at real alternatives. And that's why I think there's a big call to try and pause and really review this in a serious way, not just do a small review, but a, a comprehensive review about this issue. Okay, you said earlier um, that you were on a scrutiny committee. Now the job of scrutiny is to be totally independent of the executive, of the people who make the decisions, the cabinet, um, and to ask the sort of questions that you have been asking now, raising the points that you've been raising. But in Enfield, it doesn't quite work that way, does it? It's many, many people argue that scrutiny in Enfield has been devalued. It's no longer fit for purpose. Um, I mean, how do you feel about scrutiny? Do you feel scrutiny works in Enfield or are there problems there? I mean, I mean, transparency, accountability and scrutiny obviously are important areas that underpin local democracy. Um, I, I know, say, say, the Green Party are very concerned that local government administration with large majorities are certainly diluting powers of scrutiny. Um, what has been happening in Enfield in recent years is actually quite alarming in my uh, opinion. Um, the, the over-US scrutiny committee's role uh, is to hold the council decision makers to account. Um, it is supposed to remain independent of cabinet. This is about democracy, governance, and accountability. Um, so certainly it has been discussed on this panel before about uh, a case brought by a past chair of the council scrutiny committee about the interference in the scrutiny committee. Um, and despite the hearings and the reaches the independent solicitors has made, I still feel that uh, the, the much hasn't changed in terms of the scrutiny's um, independence. Um, so therefore the experience I've had, I've sat in two uh, scrutiny panels, hasn't been a positive one. Um, it really, we haven't got the culture to be do some open, honest scrutiny, uh, which is very healthy for local democracy. It's not really trying to find fault with anyone. It's to really open uh, decision makers to other ideas it's, it's to be a critical friend and a couple of uh, certainly the report we produced for the Meridian Water Scrutiny one gave a lot of good recommendations uh, friendly recommendations um, but the cabinet officers never gave us a chance to present it to them uh, all, all we got was a, a, a public we were publicly undermined after doing that, um, that report, which is quite a, a shame because we put a lot of effort in, we collected some good knowledge by talking to local community and people and we never got the chance to present that. It was just not uh, heard. Oh, and so recently I've been sitting on a, uh, the environment and climate action scrutiny panel. And uh, again, the work from that one of the pillars of the work was to do a meridian water environment strategy scrutiny. And that whole process was 
I just feel is was being undermined all the time. We put questions last September again in March, lots of questions, none of them were answered. And in the end, based on publicly available information, a, a majority of the scrutiny panel issued a report. And at the moment, it's not being it's not being accepted or being published. And that's really demoralizing uh, because you put the effort in, uh, it's come up with some recommendations, which we think are important in terms of air pollution, um, flooding issues around, I mean, quite uh, standard ones. And I think it's worth uh, officers and the cabinet to hear it, put it out in the public um, and uh, it's, it's and have those debates because that's what so, democracy so, is about. So when scrutiny is not working in the way it should um, and your reports are not being discussed and you're not being listened to, going out into the community, working with civil society, encouraging civil society to do that scrutiny, which the council itself is not doing, is important, isn't it? And I guess that's one of the things that you'll be moving towards yourself, encouraging that to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking for the opportunity to have these discussions. It's not um, going against anything. It's just when you see certain information, I think it's our duty as councillors to really look at these issues because we, we are, the council is holding the budget, right? And the officers are implementing them. So the advice of politicians give the councillors are very important, the direction and the guidance. Uh, and same the other way around, Polit the councillors don't know all the technical issues. So we also need the help to get educated about these issues. And if it's not meant to be a confrontational issue, it's just trying to understand and feed off each other's skills and concerns and, and work on those. So okay. when I question about housing decisions, I'm sort of thinking, how is this helping Enfield residents? That's my focus, right? And if there are some other answers about finances and stuff, you want to have that debate in a fair and open way. Um, but if you okay. don't get that, then it becomes very unhealthy, I think, for local democracy. Okay, so we're getting very close to the end now in 30 minutes. Okay, so now you've liberated yourself and you're outside of a really tight party machine uh, and you have more freedom. What are your plans for the future? I mean, certainly for Southgate, I'm very keen to do something in Southgate. So. Uh, even actually before I joined the Green Party, I reached out to uh, other two councillors who are cross-party, one conservative and one community first, to say, hey guys, why don't we work together on issues we can agree on and try to um, do something in Southgate to make an impact. And by, I was very pleased that both these councillors uh, were fully agreeable. And we had our initial meeting with some key um, champions of the community who actually really were welcoming that idea. So one of the things I'm really looking forward to is uh, just making an impact on issues which we can agree on. I'm sure politically there are a lot of things we won't agree on, but there are certain things like, um, like we said, the, the traffic issues, the safety issues, um, the town center, the fly tipping, Southgate office village, a lot of things which we can agree on. And I think one of the things I'm really focusing is on those Southgate first, and also really not taking the eye off on these big housing projects, because I think that's a big, important issue for 
um, infield going forward. Okay, so if anybody wanted to find out more about your plans, your ideas, your work with the community, wanted to contact you, how would they go about it? Um, my contact details are on, on the website, both my email address and also the um, phone number. So please, you're very welcome to contact me. Um, it's just to uh, do things more positive. I'm not really uh, there to sort of be in a confrontational uh, situation. I think we can work together and I think it's healthy for local democracy if we put all our energies to solve real problems which are out there. Okay, well, okay, thanks for doing that. I mean, we come to the end of the interview. And I mean, your situation is very interesting because you were in a, a, a party, a particular party in Enfield that uh, has very, very tight discipline. You've liberated yourself from that. You've really thought through what the role of the councillor is in relation to their community and who you represent. And I think that's a very interesting discussion that we can continue to have with others. And it's an important discussion as well, because councillors do represent their community, should not be imposed on by having tight discipline, they should have the freedom to innovate and develop what we need in these days, and that's new ideas. And I think you're doing that. And I think that's great that you are. So thanks, Chara, for doing this interview. It's great having you here. And we'll end this interview now. Thank you very much, um, Francis. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.